welcome to 2023. What a great year it's going to be. Uh, welcome to the Rolling Ball Podcast, Leicester Tigers Fans Podcast. Uh, with me, Mike, and over there is Elliot, who is looking chipper after coming back from north of the border. Hello, good evening, uh, happy new year. Um, yeah, it was good. I had New Year's up in Edinburgh, uh, which was Very nice. um, good fun, good crack. Um, it was cold and wet, but I think that's in Scotland. I think that's like that in summer. Um, it was like it was, that uh, in Salford, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, mate. It was uh, a good couple of days up there. So, uh, so yeah, how was yours, mate? But firstly, how do you pronounce it? Is it Hogmanay, isn't it? That's how I would say it. Yeah, Hogmanay. I, d- I don't know. I basically try and sort of bumble my way through it. It's like when you, you didn't get made to sing like Old Lang Syne, did you? Because, I mean, that, again, is something that I've got no idea what the words are until, you know, Old Lang Syne, and, and you just sort of bumble your way through the rest of it. Well, we um, did sing Old Lang Syne. I didn't know the words. My version is a lot of mumbling and then shouting Old Lang Syne every so often. However, my wife, um, to, to alleviate that she wanted to learn it this year so had the lyrics on her phone and sang along that's that's really keen but i do admire it i mean that you know you're going into scottish territory the least you can do i suppose is kind of be ready to sing their song yeah either way it sounds more thrilling than my new year's eve well i say more thrilling actually i was on the edge of my seat because my wife and i watched um top gun maverick uh after doing the big fat quiz of the year uh that was uh fun uh, i haven't seen top gun maverick have you seen it no, I've seen, obviously, Top Gun, not seen yeah. the second one. Right, I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be shit. But then we found out you had the free subscription. We're not sponsored by Sky or anything or Paramount, but, but we've got Sky and you've got the free subscription to Paramount with it. And I was like, oh, well, we might as well watch it. Holy shit, it's brilliant. I write really surprisingly good. As in, I think it's even better than the first. And that is saying a lot. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed that. We did the big fat quiz of the year uh, where we decided we would have won if we were... We were taking part, and we decided we were both funnier than Jonathan Ross. But I mean, that's sort of not in or there. But um, uh, that was quite boring. But, like, the main thing was New Year's Day. We had some friends over, and did like a nice big Sunday dinner. Uh, I sent you a picture of it to try and uh, get you jealous of your exotic shenanigans up in Scotland. What did you think? You, uh, you succeeded because I was very jealous. Very good. Did you, were you impressed by the Yorkshire puddings? Again, also uh, very very good. So uh, was that? Uh, it, uh, it is a, a bit a of a special that is. Is, creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one Bessie shit in my house. No, it was all all uh, done from a old family my nana's recipe. And yeah, sort of wheel wheel those out every now and again. Ash sometimes they've actually kind of got got into trouble because it fills up the oven so much it sort of starts knocking other stuff off shelves, which is when you know that you've gone really good. But these were these were a bit more modest size. Anyhow, um We've got, uh, well, I suppose, uh, I say it's a huge show because we've obviously got to talk about the debacle um, in Salford on the night before New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve Eve. But we'll get that out of the way and then we can look ahead to what Tigers want to be achieving in 2023. Then we can also look ahead to a very important game, even more important game now against Newcastle away, as well as talking about who the head coaches are going to be, both for the import 15 and for the homegrown heroes as well then I think we might ask everyone to pit the two teams against each other and see who they think would win, which I think would be a really interesting exercise. God, that sounds like a sort of a teacher thing to do at school. Elliot, have we got any shout-outs to do? I think we've got uh, got a nice review, haven't we? Yes. I was going to say, there was no uh, shout-outs from me, but you've got a nice review to, uh, to say thank you to. Oh, yes, we did. So, sorry, I forgot that it was supposed to be me who did this bit. <laughs> it was, uh, so I've got uh, uh, Eddie uh, Tiger, uh, who's got in touch, who said, uh, Mike and Elliot are great hosts and also have some great guests. It's the best one 
hour and a half. Sometimes, I mean, on a good day, it's often over that. Talking about the greatest rugby team in the world, Leicester Tigers. For the fans, it's even better. We send this to Adam Whitty, actually. For the fans, it's even better than BBC Leicester, a Five Live Rugby Union Weekly. I mean, it's very kind of him to say. I don't think it is, but it is very kind of him. No, to- <laughs> Adam Whitty's access to sort of guests tends to be sort of like at the click of a finger as opposed to our pleading that we have to do to certain people. I don't want to tell you how low we've stooped to try and get people on from the club because it'll get us all into a lot of trouble. But um, for the real, he says for the real fans, and he knows someone who listens in the Cayman Islands, um, purely for uh, climate reasons, nothing to do for tax reasons, I am sure. Um, but anyway, if you do like what you listen to, please leave us a review. You can do that on Apple or Spotify. Thank you to everyone who has done so. And if you want to get in touch or you want to send us a voice note, that's one of our features, please send us an email at therollingmall.outlook.com or you can get in touch on Twitter where our handle is at rollingmallpod. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. Right, before we rip off the Band-Aid and talk about the defeat to Sale, let's uh, quickly whiz through some news. Uh, first bit, we have a new scrum half, and that is Sam Walston home, or Wool or Walston home. Well, either way, we've decided we're going to call him Woolly or Sam. But welcome, Woolly. Um, I'm sure we'll be made very welcome. Very much needed, obviously, with the sudden retirement of Richard Wigglesworth. Sam Edwards. Apparently not entirely trusted at this stage, despite his obvious promise. He's very inexperienced. And obviously with the other two scrum halves, uh, Lenny and JVP being uh, in England's wider plans, then there is the risk that we'll be left with uh, uh, no scrum halves at all. So bringing in Sam from Was is a great shout. Our old friend Bobby Bridge speaks of him really highly. Uh, He was apparently very highly thought of there. So he comes along with a lot of promise and could be, I know he's come on a short-term deal, but he's another guy who hopefully has an opportunity to, set out some long-term uh, routes at the club. Absolutely. You know, ex-Oakham School as well. Um, so, fellow Oakham Schooler, along with JVP, so, mm. so uh, which is always interesting. Uh, no, I think it's a really good signing. Like you say, really good reputation at Wasps. He's definitely needed from a positional point of view at Tigers, so he ticks a lot of boxes. And, you know, I was thinking about it during, what, during the rewatch of the sale game. You know, young Lenny is 33. Yeah. There aren't too many years left. He's played a lot of rugby, Lenny. He, what he wants to do after the World Cup is entirely in his hands. He might want to decide to play a little bit longer for, for Leicester. He might want to call it quits, whatever he wants to do. So, you know, it's, like you say, for thinking further afield, having that option to have a look at, I think is really interesting. And it's a good pickup. Well, you want three top-line scrum halves, ideally, don't you? And we've yes. been extremely fortunate when you think to have Lenny Wiggly and JVP 
um, which is insane. So you're three, all of them in England internationals at, at different stages of their career. Um, and well, obviously Lenny and Wigley are both extremely senior. So it, it's interesting now, all of a sudden, as you say, you get to the standard setup is to have one top level scrum half, one very good premiership scrum half, and one young up and comer. Um, you look long term, and perhaps Sam might fit into that nice second bracket as an established premiership player with obviously Sam Edwards coming up as well as being the promising one, and then JVP sort of being your front line nine. So it's a really exciting opportunity for. Sam to come in and I say I think he's got a real chance to hopefully lay, lay down some long-term roots because nine is an area all of a sudden you know our, our forward plan doesn't look entirely um convincing without new additions anyway um going out the other way of course we've unfortunately had to see Tony here very briefly had to say goodbye to uh, Gabriel Ogre and uh and Tom Cowan Dickey who has obviously been in and out of the club for the last couple of years but has played a part in some key performances as it should be said um both cracking players in their own right. I mean, I a bit gutted about Ogre going because we'll talk about him in the sale game. You know, he's he's got a lot about him coming in in very difficult circumstances, having a cracking game. He puts in shots. He's versatile. He's mobile. I suppose he is similar to Nick Dolly in that respect. But um, it, it, yeah, they go with our best wishes. But um, what do you have to say about those two, Elliot? I think if we start with with Ogre, I think it's just unfortunate that. Um, he'd signed a deal with Bordeaux before he came to us <laughs> because it is a bit bittersweet that you, you see glimpses of his talent and you go, oh, we'd love to have him for longer. And then, you know, he goes pretty quickly because that was the agreement and we all knew it um, when he started. He's a fantastic signing for Bordeaux. You know, you, you know, I think there's an 18-month deal he's got over in France. So they've got themselves one hell of a player. Yeah, It'd be interesting to see if in 18 months... Obviously, there's a lot can happen in that time. Um, if we can do a deal in 18 months' time, if he wants to come back to England to do some some business there. But yes, you know, in the two appearances he's had for us, he's done really well and as uh, impressed. So it's a sh- it is a shame, but we knew what were, what was happening when he was signed. Absolutely, and Tom Cow and Dickie, you know, always sort of third fourth choice. But whenever he came on, ultra reliable. His darts were pretty good. He was solid. He worked hard in defence. You know, you've got. Um, absolutely not a bad word to say about the man from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And it probably shows that, A, Montoya's injury probably isn't as serious as uh, maybe feared. Because I don't think you'd be letting Tom Cowan Dickey go if Montoya was a serious injury. Yeah. And it probably shows that Nick Doll is also very, very close to returning. Again, for similar sort of reasons. You wouldn't want to be letting Horton, Tom Cowan Dickey go on top of Ogre going if it was a serious, uh, if it was a long-term uh, thing for Dolly. So as it stands, we've got Montoya, Dolly, Taufiti as our, um, and Trio, Charlie Clare as our, yeah. and Charlie Clare, sorry, as our four. Yeah. Uh, and obviously maybe it's going to involve putting a bit more faith in Archie Baines. We haven't seen uh, a lot of him this season. We thought we might see a bit more of him. So perhaps it might be a case of like bringing him in a bit more for the second half of the season if he's required. But like I say, um, it's interesting to try and read between the lines to see the messages. Like with, you know, obviously us signing um, Sam Wilson home, it, it looks like it might be a case of JVP and Lenny are both in Steve's plans for the English squad. I, I kind of expected that he might pick one or the other just out of uh, politeness to us, but obviously he's in for a penny, in for a pound now with England, so we can't perhaps rely on that. Um, so talking of England, uh, the... I'd say welcome news, but obviously it does worry us again about squad depth. Is uh, the old man in the squad, Mr. Dan Cole, uh, is allegedly 
not only in Steve's plans, but according to Telegraph, is very firmly sort of in the centrepiece of basically restoring the strength of England's set piece. And he's they've been sort of a pre-meet, and he's very much been part of that. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at with Dan Cole, if you think about it, Cockers is, looks to be retained by um, Steve as part of the coaching group moving forward. You've got two people in Steve and Cockers who are big advocates of what Cole is all about. You know, Cockers brought him on, brought him through and took him, you know, all the way up until Cockers left. So, you know, he's a lot about what Coley does and what he's all about and the strengths. If you look at the work that Steve's done with Coley over the last two or three years, you know, we've almost every week we wax lyrical about um, what Coley does. He's a form tight head. And, you know, we talk about all the different things and strengths that he's bringing to the side and how much of an important member of the team he is. You know, you've got two advocates, real big advocates there. And you look at Steve's comments in the press conference about set piece and stuff like that. It's almost a no-brainer that, that he's going to get involved. And it's the stats and, his, and the numbers that he's producing um, fully support such an inclusion. Well, a friend of the pod, Charlie Morgan, uh, writing for the Daily Telegraph, did a really good point, which was something Steve specialises in. It's like it makes the game very simple for players. He's not saying that you need to be someone who does everything to someone who perhaps doesn't have that in their locker, you know. So other players might be able to do a lot of different skills and perform them all to a very high standard. Now, Coley can throw a pass. He can also run if required. In fact, actually, you've seen him do these shuttle runs. He is quicker than people give him credit for. But what is his strength? It is clearing out, being a nuisance at defensive rucks and within the lines of the law as well, because I think he his discipline now is, is far improved to what it was even just three years ago. Then... In the and obviously then you've got the his scrummaging ability as well. He was pushed a little bit at sale. I have my own views on the legality of Simon McIntyre's angle on that. I think Matt Carley was on his side once or game, and then pinged McIntyre straight away for driving it through the side, and then all the other calls came through from the touch judge. So perhaps they don't quite understand the rules the same as Carley did. But uh, he is without doubt the best scrummaging English tight head in the league. Uh, and I really hope that he gets an opportunity to go and play for England again because he's just five off his century. It would be a wonderful and deserved achievement for him to reach that landmark. And also, I'd fucking love it if he started burying uh, some of our uh, Celtic neighbours in the in the scrum in the six stages because there's been some really unfair and nasty comments I've seen online about him being uh, potentially record recalled. And I think that uh, it would be good to get him earning the respect that he deserves. Well, it's the usual thing with it's the same with like Lenny, Fordy, Coley. They do the fundamentals of rugby very, very well. And it's not very flashy, it doesn't grab any headlines. But the reason why all of three of those players have got so many caps is because at international level, it's the consistency of doing the very, very basics to a very, very high level and doing it all the time. It's that, you know. It's not a flash in the pan thing. It's not have a good game one week and then disappear off a trace the next week. It's consistently doing what the coach has been asking you to do and doing it very, very well week in, week out against a better tier of opponents. And if you can do that, you're going to get picked. And, you know, all three have those things in common is that they don't make the headlines, but coaches value them. And every different coach picks all three of those players, whether yeah. it's for England or at club. And that probably shows you there's a good damn good reason why. Well, this is it, exactly. You've got people's views. You said, look, if X amount of consecutive England coaches have selected him, this, you know, he's been selected on two Lions tours. Uh, he's got th- three Lions caps um, and he's played for Leicester for this many seasons under however many co- coaches and retained being first choice under the pressure of another international tight head. 
Um, yeah, he's handy, basically. And like you say, his, he's doubled down on the things he's good at and added the kick chase, bizarrely, to his bow. It's like he's one of the best kick-chasing forwards, let alone front rowers in the league. Uh, the, the, the clip of him against Gloucester, I think it was, wasn't it, when he sort of he chased up, or was it Clermont? It was Clermont. Clermont, wasn't it? Yeah, when somebody tries to step in. And he's come he's come flying up, and his reaction to it, he reads the step, gets across, gets him down, then joins in the counter ruck as well. Absolutely quality stuff from him. I'm really um looking forward to seeing him get a chance again. Now, uh, we, we put it out there on Twitter as well. We're just gonna finally wrap up uh this section with, I suppose, our memories of 2022, our favorite bits, and what we're hoping for for 2023. We we put it out there to everyone saying, look, obviously the final one, you know, the best Steve uh, moment, the World Cup of Steve. If you took the final out, out of it, uh, what was your Tigers moment of 2022? Uh, Connacht away, I think, is up there. That was um, wicked for you, though, because obviously you were you, you were having your chance on to be provide the neutral analyst position on, on the commentary, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which the neutrality went out the window. With... <laughs> that got played. I was on the Radio Western Rugby Show last Wednesday, and they played, you know, all the highlights of the first half of the year. And there's you sort of screaming down the microphone. I, I crease every time I hear that. It's brilliant. And that's what. I, that's what. By the way, I'm, that is what local commentary should be. That uh, it's it was absolutely brilliant because it just summed up how we were all doing. So yeah, mate. I think you've got a gig there for life if you can uh, carry on that level of impartiality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that was definitely a, a firm favourite of mine. Um, and even though it was in a losing effort, I really enjoyed the excitement of Leinster at home in the... Um, I know what you mean, yeah. Just the feel of a big game. And as I said before, Leicester was on fire that day. Hot day. You know, the city had an absolute buzz to it. And it was when, for that, not just for the football team. You know, it's normally when it's these sort of things, it's because the football team has got a big game and there's a lot of atmosphere in the town. For this, for the rugby club, it felt like Leicester were back. Yeah, because and, the city and was, was alive. The, the 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 stadium was packed as well, wasn't it? And yeah. it was it was buzzing, it was electric, and it was it was angry. It was like I said, you know, one of my favourite bits about the game against Gloucester was the terrace was angry. Um, yeah, it, it is still it. The only thing that takes a gloss off, gloss off it for me is, of course, the fact that like we almost got too wrapped up in the occasion, didn't play how we could play until the second half, and that's perhaps when the. Uh, yeah, obviously, where we showed our true colours and it was a much better performance. Uh, for me, I really liked the uh, home game against Bristol, where we, uh, I think, we, did we put 50 or near on, on on them as well? And it was Chris Ashton's hat trick, Tom Young's last game, he led the team out and it was hyper emotional. And you had the images of, you know, the hardest guys in the team, Ellis Genge and Jasper V. Basically, the harder you were, the more you cried. Uh, I think it was the weekend before the Leicester game, actually, as well. And so it was starting mm. to all build and uh, and one of the best performances of the year as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, again, a great afternoon. And it was a, it was almost a game that sort of buried the whole Bristol thing. You know, after we'd had the, the Port Guy yeah. Porter thing, to do the double and in such a dominant fashion, just exercised all those demons and a fantastic tribute to Tom Young. So just, of just... You know, getting a hat trick in the first half by Ashton. It was just the whole thing was great. It was a really good afternoon. I think, yeah, signed off by Tom Young saying, um, let's fuck him up at our place <laughs> it's about Saints in the semi-final. And it's sort of like we was on pitch with a microphone. That was good fun. Um uh, Clement at home as well, just because we met up for a pub crawl, but you were late, and then you carried basically to say sorry, you bought me about five beers in about ten minutes. 
just because I, I got really loose on the terrace and that was uh that was that was a fun afternoon if if not perhaps the most productive in terms of analyzing the game. Um let's have a look at 2023 and what it may bring for us. What are your sort of hopes, I suppose, on the pitch and off the pitch for Tigers this season? Yeah, sure. So I think for me, it's in terms of performance-wise, we're just to see if we can sort of build a bit more in terms of what we do. So, you know, expand our game a little bit, maybe with some offloading, produce a sort of an offloading intent. I think we're starting to hint at it a little bit, even against Sale. Players are showing for wanting to do the offload. It's just having the support runners there. And I think if you look at the lessons that Saris and Sale have done, they've added bits and pieces to their game in terms of an expansion. So I think both in terms of offloading and then linking into intent with the backs, I think that'd be a really interesting um, sort of thing for us to do, I think, to take our game to another level. And also about, this is a bit quirky, I guess, but if starting to sort of notice with teams around different leagues, so in the URC, there's been a couple of South African teams who have done it, Leinster have done it, in Europe, Saris did it against Exeter. Some moves around a five meter tap and go. You know, if you know, we will get into it with it, the sale. Bring game, back the wall. Yeah, I mean to have something. Oh no, just well, well hang on. We, we did have one, of course. We brought yeah. it out of the final. Yeah, that, that was basically my point. Is actually Wiggy, who is now our obviously our head coach, was the inventor of the move in the final, which brought us a try and was you know plaud- given so many plaudits for being really imaginative. I think if you look at some of the imaginative things that are happening around rugby at the moment and sort of innovative stuff is around these sort of five meter moves and actually doing something a bit different drawing people you know the defense into a different uh, way of thinking and scoring tries off the back of it and it's I think given how clever Wiggy was with that move in the final I think there is brains and ability in our forward pack to start adding something to our game so I think for me on the pitch it's those three areas of adding to our game to take ourselves forward and progressing as a team. Yeah, I agree with all of that for on-field stuff. I, I enjoyed some of the shoots we saw against Gloucester about trying to get to the edge uh, quickly and using you know some of the good distributors we've got on our back line, but also some of the hard runners and just integrate the forwards in the wider channels a little bit more. I'd like to see us do that a bit more. But uh, for me, this has got to be a consolidation season. I think it, it has been said by us at, at the start of the season, we want to be whilst we want to be aiming for the top two, we'll say that's probably slightly less. It's not completely out, out the picture, but we want to be top four. Top four is consolidating what we started to achieve um, last season by winning the league. And basically, if we put top four, another top four in, we're back. We can say that. It becomes a little bit more like, oh, was it just a perfect storm of, you know, having Ellis and George Ford on their, in their last seasons and, Steve and Kev, you know, they, they they put down their tactics and other sides hadn't properly figured us out yet, which would be an unfair reflection in my view. But it will raise the question marks over it. I, I think we'll get top four. I hope we do anyway. And uh, obviously, I think top two, perhaps a stretch, but it can still be done. Um, 2023, what would you like to see off the pitch then? Well, I would like to see a little bit more sort of online sort of content stuff from Tigers in and around social media stuff. I know um, there is a, I know Bondi on our first ever podcast said there is a culture at the club maybe just to sort of crack on and just let our talking do on the pitch, which is, you know, I get that. I think in the modern world, I think it would be nice to see a little bit more um, from Tigers. I mean, the video that was done at Ospreys, even for the, the, the 30 second clip that it was of Steve just talking about Harry Potter and Guy Porter's 
50th um, games for the club. Just a nice little insight. Just to... a peek behind the curtain. We, we don't want, you know, a front row centre of their tactical debriefs. But just, you know, there's rumour about Six Nations doing sort of a Drive to Survive documentary, which would be brilliant. Good luck getting Steve to sign off on that for England. Uh, it would be dreadful if he didn't and everyone else did. That would really leave England behind. But Tigers have to accept that to generate interest. It's not just about the game. It's about the characters. And just seeing little snippets of the people behind the shirts is so important. You don't have to do a lot. You just have to do a little bit. I think it would also drive a really tighter connection, which is already tight as it is, between the fans and the players. If you can get on board with the personalities of who they are as people, We've got some really good guys in the squad. You know, we'll talk about it in the game against Sale, but we've got some really good yeah. lads in this club and they care a lot about it as well. Yeah. And it'd be nice to see, you know, we've got, a, as you say, but these cropper youngsters coming through, JVP, Freddie Stewart, you know, Tommy Raphael yeah. and, and all of them. They're all modern guys. They're all on the TikTok and other things. That's what you call it, is it? The TikTok. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got Jimmy, Dub- you know, we've got Jimmy Whitcomb. I think we have a, we could have a whole series just following Jimmy Whitcomb around. I mean, well, that'd be hilarious. If I have to sign up for TikTok, I will pass. But um, I think that, no, I completely agree. Though. We do need to be able to sort of expand the reach a little bit, a little bit more content. It, sort of the bare minimum, which it sometimes feels like it is, you know, like in a couple of interviews with players after the game, it, it ain't that fun. But the, was it before the Bristol game that I mentioned before was they did, you know, kind of a hype video for it more of those you know like start to build up a bit of rivalries i'm not saying throw serious shade on other clubs because we're better than that but you know just just sort of like drop a little bit of chili powder um into the sauce and and see what happens i I mean i really like that kind of stuff and again just a little peek back behind the curtain for the players that i think that would do absolute wonders for generating interest bringing in new fans getting new people interested yeah totally we can't just say basically job done tick it can't be done can't be the pinnacle of our social media anymore. And if the club want a couple of people to uh, be the voice or face to, of it, to, to do shit polls <laughs> like <laughs> left, right, and centre, and claim that this is like sort of democracy in action, then yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And uh, some occasional uh, memes. We are the guys to go to. Very much so. Or we at least know other guys who can do it, and then we will do it. Nick it. Take credit for it. it yeah, something like that. every now and again you just have to take your trousers down and enjoy a damn good thrashing don't you Elliot well you went to a posher school than me so uh... oh yeah that is it actually that is true uh, all sorts of things there it was all part of you know character building as they call it at those schools not boarding school that is a completely different kettle of fish let's nip that in the bud now uh, anyway yes 40 points to 5 a humbling away at Salford against Sale I think we thought this was going to be a tough one and then we got shoots of optimism and we thought, all right, I think if we put out the same side that as we did against Gloucester, we go in a bit of fight. I think we can nick something from this game, despite the fact Sale have been our bogey team, despite the fact it's on a Friday night at Sale, uh, which is always notoriously horrible in the middle of winter. And despite the fact probably without our two best players in Montoya and Visa, there were still real shoots of hope. Uh, they got slapped down pretty spectacularly, didn't it? Yeah, I thought um, I thought it'd be a close game. I thought we would, even if we didn't win it, I thought we'd be competitive, and it'd be a sort of similar sort of scoreline game uh, as we've had in other occasions. I thought the fact 
Steve had such a bad record against Sale. I think he had 20% win record, which was the lowest against any of the opponents. I thought it might work in our favour just because, you know, every team, every coach has a bogey team. Clearly Sale was Steve's. I thought that might just, you know, rugby gods might do something for us. No, uh, just a bad, bad game, bad results and probably, probably our worst performance of the season. Certainly up there with... Um, Sarah's away and Sailor's home as uh, um, as a stinker. Yeah, it it hurts to get sort of this many sort of like absolute pastings in a season. I think you can accept one or two, but I think if there are any more, then you have to sort of like really raise an eyebrow, don't you? Because like I said, going in and every side has a bogey side, and this seems to per- pervade different coaches. Although it is only Wigley's second game, we've got to give them that, but. I think that we, let's get one thing out of the open now because I think we are probably going to be critical of certain aspects of how Tigers play because you have to be. But I, I'd like to put it out there that the guys clearly kept going in ridiculous circumstances. Things couldn't have gone any worse in that second half. Uh, you know, taking the scoreboard aside or the performance aside, the injuries, the complete change up in the back line, it completely changed the setup of the side and their mentality of how they could play. That that is enough to take the belief out of any group of players. And they probably did lose the belief that they could come back and win it. But they kept making their tackles, kept going to the end. You know, the, the guys had a lot of heart, particularly as we mentioned before, Ogre coming in playing 12 and actually giving it a damn good shot as well. I thought, you know, in that sense, I am proud of the guys for sticking with it. But obviously there will be some uh, I don't want to use the word learnings. That's what Sanderson says, isn't it? Learnings uh, to take from the game. Uh, but I'm sure that we won't be saying anything that they haven't discussed between them themselves. I almost thought, I don't like losing and I hate losing every game. And this isn't say, oh, I, I find it easier to accept that's wrong. But it's I'm almost calm about when you're so off the pace like we were and against all the fundamentals of the game, we were second best at. We were well off the pace yeah. in just every bit of kicking. You know, there was kicks out on the full, poor passes, poor catches. Our line out wasn't at times was pretty poor. Our the scrum where got... we, I mean, the line out was reasonably accurate, but it did nothing then once it landed. The scrum yeah. then was shaky. Yeah, I mean, our detail at breakdown work was 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 off. You know, so across the board, we were second best at right, and we were well off the pace, and we were just well off the pace over the whole eighty minutes, and that's. I don't want to oversimplify why we lost, but actually rugby, rugby can be a simple game. If you don't do enough of that, if you're good stuff, over 80 minutes, you're not going to win many games of rugby. But because we were so far off the pace, I almost find it easier to accept, and I'm fairly calm about it, because you've just got to be better. Does that make sense? Yeah. If I, find yeah, no, it I, I, know, I, I know what you mean, because like, if it's a, it's a narrow loss, you kind of agonise over these tiny details, don't you? Oh, if only we'd have done it. Even when we got beaten by Leinster, we, we thought that there were six tiny details that we could have changed. Oh, six is quite a lot, but we were kind of comfortably beaten, but we weren't thrashed. And then against other sides where we've lost by a point here or there, you say, oh, if only we'd have done this or that. With this, it, it's almost easier to say, look, we'll have one session where we tear this apart and probably tear each other a new household while we're at it. And then you draw a line under it and say, that was shit. Um, let's not have that again. And it's kind of easier to move on from it in that sense. It doesn't play in your mind like a like a sort of a splinter that's there just saying, oh, that was a missed opportunity. I felt worse after the Bath game yes. and the Exeter game than I yes. did after that. 
purely just because you just go, well, we were crap. And it's easier to accept to go, we were miles off. And the boys themselves on, you know, today, when they're in the training sessions, they will all be going, we were miles off, boys. We've just got to be better. And it, it's almost an easier way of analysing the game because you're just really hard on yourself. And at the end of the review session, someone goes, right, that was that. We put it to bed. Let's just be better. Agree entirely. Uh, I think a good place to start uh, is a post, uh, or sorry, a voice note that we received from Henry Phillips, who got in touch. Uh, he's been a loyal listener, he says, uh, and he has some good points to make. Hi, guys. This is uh, Henry um, from calling from London. <laughs> I think that's what they say when you uh, call into radio shows, isn't it? Um, first of all, just want to say big fan of the podcast. Uh, my dad and I is also a Tigers fan, listen every week. Um, and then we also have a debrief about listening to the podcast in addition to the game. So keep up the good work. Um, so thoughts on the game against Sale, extremely humbling. Uh, no toys about it. Um, as depressing as it gets that second half, almost switched it off, but I thought, no, you've got to stick with it and the good times and the bad. Um, the, the risk of being too doom and gloomy with the game, I feel, because um, we had lost, um, had so many injuries in the second half, it's pretty hard to judge where we're at, um, given that amount of disruption. Um, another point I thought was, given how... Um, our game's pretty simple, right? Um, we need to get set piece right. Um, and when that and doesn't work and we don't dominate in those areas, um, we're not going to win. Um, and I think that's what happened there is that we got pinged a few times in the scrum. Um, our rolling ball, we had, I think it was four chances in the end to score the try. And I don't necessarily think we should have taken the points. I think at four goes, we've got to back ourselves to score a try. We didn't manage that. So I'd say it's the fact that we didn't execute our game plan well enough rather than maybe taking the points. That being said, if they're taking the points, I would have been happy with that as well to get some momentum. I think it would have been a really different game. One had we scored one of those tries at the risk of stating the obvious, but the momentum would have been completely different. And secondly, if we hadn't got all the injuries we've got, um, I think we could have maybe fought way back into it. But all in all, definitely some thinking to do about how we come back uh, next week against Newcastle. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Really interesting point he raises there for me is, can we take more out of the first half performance? than the second, just because of what happened in the second half in terms of the amount of injuries and this sort of cobbled together backline we ended up having with, you know, a nine who had to go and play 15 for about five minutes, then moving to fly half, then a hooker at 12 and a 12 at 13. It was almost comical if it wasn't so shit. Um, what did you, what do you think? For me, I agree. I think that you, I take more, I suppose, again, learnings from that first half than the second half, which became just a cling on lads, just do your best uh, approach. Yeah, I think with the, the first half, it was just a, the accumulation of so many errors and just being second best in all the different areas of the game. It just meant that half time at 16 nil down, it's tough in any game to come back from that, especially away at sale on a Friday night. And then... The injuries in the second half just just just, just killed the whole thing um, as an enterprise. I think, and the first half almost set the tone for the second half, really, in terms of how we play. Because we can never shake that feeling of just being error strewn and um, just being second best in all of the different areas. And it meant that even when it went down the Kermit in the second half, and we'd got to cobble together a bit of a game plan, it meant we couldn't cobble together even a very basic 
simplistic game plan. Because even with all the injuries, right, and all the chaos that's going on, you can still formulate a game plan that comes into it. And effectively, that revolves around your pack and your nine and your ten, just effectively kicking you into position. So almost if you look at it, how we played in Steve's first year, where we had a pack that won us some ball, we then really intelligent kicking from nine and ten, a really aggressive press defence. You force pressure, you force turnovers, you force knock-ons, you force some penalties. You then use that to either kick to goal, kick to corner. And it, you might not win the game, right? But you at least have the semblance being competitive. And you, uh, you hold on to the ball, takes up some time and makes the score line less embarrassing, at least. Yeah, but you, you, you stay in the game, right? And it, it gives you half a chance of doing something because you're always in and around and you're putting pressure on. And it might you might get a couple of opportunities. which If you score from them, it puts the pressure on. And it's 23-5 when the chaos started. It only needed a try and a couple of penalties. And we're suddenly, you're making life interesting again. The problem is we were so error-strewn is we couldn't even do that because our kicks, our, you know, our kicks went out on the full still. We were still knocking on. We couldn't get basic patterns of play sorted because we were just so error-strewn. And it just meant that the whole thing just, <laughs> it just added to the whole, sh- the, the, the feel of this, this isn't happening. No, I agree. Particularly someone who's usually so reliable, uh, JVP. Uh, didn't have his best game. Uh, I think it's fair to say by a long stretch. I, I seem to remember this is a bit of a graveyard for JVP performances, actually, because I, I think I, I saw him have a, a difficult. I, actually, didn't he get bought on at fullback well, when we la- played him his, last year? His debut, he had, a, I think, at least one kick charged down, which led to tries. His um, game last year saw Freddie go off with cramp and he had to go to 15. And I think he got a bit bullied in the air. And then this time round, his, his kicking was was off. Like he, I think it was twice into touch on the full, and he and there were times it was too long. Uh, there were obviously a few good ones in there as well, but we didn't seem to read the wind anywhere near as well as they did. I think they only had one into touch on the full, and that was more of a point that actually I think the guy just strayed a little bit further out of his twenty-two than he'd realised. So it wasn't that he'd necessarily misjudged the wind, but we kept putting it too close to the touchline. There would be a gust and it would go out. And I completely agree with you. I was quite surprised in the second half when it, basically our backline fell apart because of injury that we didn't resort to a really basic, boring type of rugby. And then we stopped playing off the top of the lineouts. And I was saying, what are we doing? You know, we we're doing some sort of strike move with, you know, a hooker sort of running in the 12 line. And, you know, JVP is a quality rugby player, but Oz pointed it out. He's, his detail on where he is on that second wave of attack, it, it's not there because he doesn't play in that position. Uh, I thought well, actually where we did on occasion make some good meters was when we started just doing the old one-out runners or little tip-ons and stuff like that, quite limited, the odd pick and go. Uh, occasionally there'd be a knock-on that would ruin it all again, as always. But you, you know, guys like Joe Hayes and, and Nephi, when they came off the bench, made some good meters. And it was only almost when we started to then say, oh, we've got momentum. The thing to do now is to put it wide. Well, yeah, maybe if you've got like a fully functional backline, actually it should have been the keep it locked in, boys, uh, and and take our time. Um, again, it's easy to say in hindsight, these guys are put in a position which they can't have expected. I thought Allard was quite funny how he he's such a nice bloke that he gets away with massively deflecting every question that gets asked of him by Nick Mullins. Then he started talking about Christmas presents at one point. Then he started to say, well, your, your daughter know what Richard Wigglesworth has everyone doing about, you know, whether he's they've had, uh, you know, our grade playing at, at 12 at all. So it was completely new territory for them. And I'm sure when they said, look, in this situation, let's just strip our game right back to what we can do, which is we still have a pack on the field, which is 
uh, you know, everyone playing in their correct positions and everyone knows what they're supposed to do in that role. Um, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. You yeah, go. totally. No, I was going to say, absolutely. It, it, you can't do much if you don't execute, execute your stuff. It's it's hard. And it, it, spread, it spread, this is how bad it got. It spread to Freddie Stewart. You know, JVP and Freddie Stewart, who are the two most reliable guys in our side, suddenly started kicking out on the full. And it's just... It, and, it, and, and Freddie's kicking game is probably one of the most underrated kicking games in England, I'd say. I think he's now one of the best sort of tram lines kicker, if that makes sense. You know, going down the line, he's so accurate and he gets such distance. But again, we just didn't seem to read the win. Anyway, I'm going to um, pass over to Sam Hill, who's uh, been a long-time listener as well. Uh, and I think he wants to talk about taking the points. Hello, lads. Happy New Year. A couple of points, I'd say. First, Hanrich's got to learn the lesson to take the points, which he has been doing this season quite well, actually. The fourth time he went to the corner, should have taken the points. You see the turnover there. It's massive momentum um, shift, which which is what happened. So, you know, Genge had to learn that lesson last year after the Leinster defeat in the quarterfinal, and then we'd started playing championship rugby. As I say, Hanro's been good at it, building scoreboard pressure. I think we need to go back to that. Secondly, uh, you know, the third different fly half in three games when we'd done so well with Charlie in the Heineken Cup and then Burns had a fantastic game against Gloucester. It was a gamble to reintroduce Pollard and he is the marquee player, but I think he needs to earn the shirt back now. Fortunately, this Newcastle plastic pitch game is not going to be suitable for him. So I'd like to see Charlie, obviously we'll reinstall Atkinson back in um, with Burns possibly being injured. But I think when we reintroduce Pollard, you know, through the Heineken Cup games, I think he needs to come on last 20 and prove that he can orchestrate the back line well. I think it was on about, oh, I don't know, it was about 12 minutes amongst those kind of penalties to the corner in the first, first 10, 12 minutes where Pollard just throws a whip pass out where we were matched off on numbers and it goes a bit wide and isn't caught when he had DK just on his inside running a hard line, Potter just outside DK. He's clearly not familiar yet and that's not his fault. But, you know, Charlie or Burns wouldn't have thrown that pass, I don't think, in that scenario. And it's those little teething issues. We can't afford to blood him and have a disjointed back line which was going well during games that we need to win so I think he needs to come on the last three, last 20 when he's, he needs to be reintroduced he needs to earn the shirt in spite of being a marquee player um, show that he can bring the flow Thanks very much Sam I didn't cut you off that was your voice note cutting off very uh, abruptly there just in case you get accused of being rude um, he's made a couple of points there let's talk about the the taking the points Obviously, we turned down four kickable penalties for three points. One of them was a little bit further out and on an angle and on a windy day. You know, basically, you could justify it, if that makes sense, going for the corner. The other three, I think, were imminently kickable. Um, Elliot, you're going to stand up for Hanro here. Obviously, we say Hanro because it's his decision on the field, but of course, it could be a preordained strategy coming from the top from uh, Wigley and the other coaches as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, first of all, I think the first two penalties, I. I didn't think were kickable. I think third and fourth were more kickable than, than those two. So that was just my sort of take on it. So it's a little bit long-winded, a little bit, so I'll try and keep it as short as possible. And I'm going to use the analogy of the England cricket team, specifically the one-day international cricket team. When Owen Morgan took over in 2015, the team was crap, right? It was absolutely bobbins. Owen Morgan came in as captain and transformed the team and they were really attacking and they played some unbelievable cricket and they went on to score 400, 450 runs from their 50 overs very, very regularly and they broke records along the way. However, there was a penchant along the way of getting bowled out and skittled for a low score and in one game, they were chasing 300. Ben Stokes is the last recognised batsman in the team and he 
hits two sixes off the first two balls of the over. He then um, so keeps up with the rate perfectly. He then, on the third ball of the over, goes for another six and gets caught on the boundary. England go on to lose the game. After the game, Owen Morgan's asked about it and says, are you annoyed with Ben Stokes? In that situation, he's, up, he's keeping up with the run rate. He didn't need to hit the big shot in that occasion. He'd already hit two sixes. Are you annoyed with him for going for it for a third time? And Owen Morgan said, I think, really interesting. And he said, no, because he said, there's the same risk and reward for that third ball is exactly the same as it was for the first two. And you cheered, and we all celebrated the fact he hit it for six. The difference between success and failure is just it's very, very small. There isn't a lot of difference between hitting it for six and keeping it over the ropes and being caught on the boundary. So he said, actually, what the, it's not a decision-making thing I'm annoyed about. It's, I'm annoyed about his execution. Yep. He should have hit it. He should have got it. So he said, I'm not annoyed about it. And he said, if you celebrated the second six, you're a hypocrite. Because he said, actually, using your logic, he'd already hit a six in the first ball of the over. He didn't need to go for it for a second time. But if you said in the commentary box, what a great shot it is, then you're a hypocrite. So, so I, think- I, I do understand what you're saying with that. And I think that is, I think it's a really good point. But if I was going to counter that, actually, which I am, <laughs> which, which is I'd say that if we reversed it a little bit, let's just say the first two, he was beaten for pace. This is a rugby podcast, not a Chrissy one, but let's let's just say he was beaten for pace on the first two balls, and it was clear basically he was he wasn't able to live with the speed that was coming in, or you know the swing, the level of it was just taking the ball away. Then him not changing his approach, then you have the the arguments about doing the same thing but expecting a different result is insanity. And for me, the first one, I I, I don't dispute. But I was I said last week I criticized Gloucester. I said that if you're going to come to offer and have the arrogance to turn down points to build a score and go for the corner and then repeatedly do it and then not and then not get it and then eventually have to settle for points, which we didn't even get to do. Um, that is a massive turnaround in momentum. And my thought was first, yeah, for the first one, absolutely go. Let's see if we get any joy. We got nothing. The second one, go. Any joy? Nothing. There weren't even there weren't even some shoots. It wasn't like we kind of rolled them and then we got held up over the line or anything like that. There was nothing. There was a, there was a meter or two, but they defended it so well sale. And for me, that is the big one because you've now realized, hang on, that they, they've nullified the way that we want to attack a wall. Either we change the way we attack in the line out, do a shortened move off the top, something like that, or, 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 or effectively we take the points. And that's where I, think this differs slightly from that situation for me personally anyway no I get that I get that for me it just bring it back to a rugby perspective there isn't a lot of difference between um, a score and a try and not being scored in a try we always run that risk of when we kick to the corner so for example the Claremont game you know six nil down we kick to the corner Jasper Visa scores no one goes oh it's a bad decision to go to the corner we celebrate the fact it's a it's a try. Oh, I yeah, I agree with that. It's like yeah. the, the, the Chris Robshaw against Wales one. You know, like it actually wasn't the call. That was a terrible line-out call. That was the cause of failure on that. But yeah. And just the last point that again, so I, I your counter I agree with. And I completely if I was the captain, I probably would have kicked to the court, kicked the goal, sorry, on the third penalty. You've had two nudges at it, it hasn't quite worked. I'd have probably have gone, sod it, take the three points and let's just build on what we've got. So I agree with you. Just to sort of counter a little bit, just to go again a little bit of defence on Hanro, our more success for like scoring a try is roughly speaking about 30%, because Gloucester's is 36. Ours is second or third in the league. That's roughly 
30, 31, 32%. I don't have the numbers to hand, but it's around that sort of level. If you're Hanro, that's one in three. So law of averages says on your own analysis, says if you've got three opportunities, you score one. Hanro's probably might have been thinking that, going, actually, you know what? We've been stopped twice. We go a third time. Law of averages on our own statistics suggest we might get there. Not only that, I don't know sales success at defending a, um, a rolling ball on their five metre line. Mm. I don't imagine it's 100% success rate. I don't imagine it's as high as 50%, given how well teams and prolific teams are scoring from rolling balls. So the chances are, Hanroy's probably thinking, law of averages suggest we might be there or thereabouts if going for it a third time. Now, that is it, what I'm trying to say is I don't want to criticise Hanroy because a lot of people have gone, it's poor captaincy and it's not Sam hasn't said this at all but other people elsewhere have said really yeah. poor captaincy what were we doing and stuff like that and what I'm saying is it's not a full throat defensive hand row but I'm just saying it's not as obvious as just going oh just kick the points mate just yeah, kick the yeah. points no, I, and I agree with that there's nuance to everything I think people get reactionary when we lose and, and when we win rather the best or the worst team in the history of the world and for me I think that he I understand his position him going for the corner the first couple of times. Personally, I'm boring. I always remember Jono and generally WWJD, what would Jono do is a good way to live your life. And Jono would always take the points. Always. He was boring as sin for it. Even if we were up by 30, take the points. You, you know, he was, well, maybe not wait for up by 30, but do you know what I mean? He really live by building a score it's building score pressure but that said there's a lot of stats behind it now aren't there saying actually you're more likely to get more points out of a visit if you go to the corner so i've got no problem whatsoever with him going for the first two times and i'm not even going to call him a crap captain for going like the third or fourth time it's just i think at that situation i think if in hindsight you'd look back and say ah, perhaps that was the point to look let's just get on the board and start again and try and sort of rebuild some pressure because i think that the I wonder if there are a couple of things that play in his mind as well as what you said, as well as the law of averages. I wonder if there might be some desperation. We haven't scored twice. We really need to score a try to make this worthwhile. And also the wind was against them. They thought, well, actually, if we get knocked back out of this field position, when are we going to be back here? And I wonder if that may have played on his mind a bit. I don't know. Um, Pollard was Sam's other point, said he needs to earn a shirt. Now, I'd agree with that. I think he, he, he doesn't. Apparently, he came off just after half time, he actually obviously scored a try. Really well read intercept. Let's let's give praise where it's due. He read the ball out the back really well, and then ran at a pace that I'm reasonably comfortable I could keep up with, which is uh, which is a shame. But he looked absolutely fucked. He looked absolutely gassed. I hope it's nothing serious. Obviously, I think it's lack of fitness, which is alluded to by Wrigley or match fits lack of match fitness. Um, was it the right decision to start him? It's a really interesting one. I think so. Purely because you're not going to play him next week. Well, I would be amazed if we do no. play him next week. I well, certainly he'll, he'll, would have... he'll have to be on the bench. Well, you've got Jimmy Gopper. Oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Very much so, yeah. So, I would have him nowhere near um, that pitch next week. You obviously want to get him involved as much as possible because he is the marquee. If, if you have got concerns about him on a fitness perspective, it is easier to start him, to bring him off, rather than have him as a substitute, bring him on. Exactly. He goes down and you have to bring him off. Reluctantly, I would argue that it is a better thing for what we have done is to get him on 
and to nurse him through to fitness, starting him doing that because clearly he's on his board quite clearly his borderline in terms of his fitness. He is a marquee. It shouldn't come into contention, but from a business perspective, Wiggy and the coaches are probably under a lot of pressure to get that boy out there as much as they possibly can. And if he's if he's fit to play, he might not be match fit. You're gonna he's gonna start or he's gonna play as much rugby as we can possibly get out of him. And to be honest, giving him 45 minutes as a sort of a, an introduction because he ain't gonna play for two weeks probably yeah. is a good way to start. And also against a side which battered us is a very harsh introduction. You're not going to give many fly halves a good platform when we were struggling in the set piece and all these other areas that we were doing. Uh, we were struggling to secure quick ball. We were struggling to actually secure the ball full stop. Um, he, he does make a point about sort of whipping a pass across. One thing I do like about Pollard, he has got an exceptional speed of pass, but it was clear that he was feeling his way into that back line and it wasn't uh, clicking. I think you know there were really few opportunities really to to show it. and. I think what Sam's good point is, this was a big game for us. Was this a game to see how he clicks? Or was it a game actually to say, no, we want to sit with Freddie Burns, who'd had a cracking game uh, against Gloucester, of course. Or, or even really, Charlie, who'd had two very good, uh, very decent games in, against Ospreys and Clermont. There's a really strong argument that we should have um, gone with Atkinson or Burns to start with. However, the only thing I would fit, consider is that you can't get continuity alone from training. You know, you look at Anthony Watson, the first few weeks of of, of Watson in, at Leicester, there was a little bit of, um, you know, clunkiness in terms of plays inside him and outside him and so on and so forth. However, now he's got a full gelling of you know, the players around him, he looks mustard. I saw, you know, from our interview we did with Freddie Burns, we said it takes three or four weeks at least to get going in the 10 shirt, to get, you know, the combinations and the people around you. And it's hard to get that from 15, 20 minutes at the end of the games. I sort of go, you almost have to uh, yeah, play let, through it. Yeah. And also let alone um, in a game against, like say, when, when you, if everything else is clicking around you, then your job is a lot easier and it's easier to kind of get up to pace where everything is fucking falling apart. And guys are probably looking at you to somehow pull it together, which is impossible to do as even a, a quality fly half with everything. Um, falling to pieces, then I think that it's really unfair. Uh, and I do want to give him a lot of credit for his... Firstly, I thought his defence was pretty good. Uh, yeah. And uh, that read, I thought, was excellent. It, it Win attack, it just wasn't working. It just weren't quite on the same wavelength. But there were so limited opportunities. And Sale's defence was exceptional. Did, that reminds me, actually. We haven't given credit to Sale, really. We've just moaned about Leicester a bit. Um, I, I'll say, I think we've already said they outplayed us in every facet. But... Um, tip of the cap to thought they're three sets of brothers um, who I thought were all fantastic. That, that is the the two Jameses, Luke and Sam James. I was passed by one of them. I always get them mixed up. Passed in the midfield by one of them, which was just absolutely gorgeous. You know, like hanging in the air, twenty meters flat um, to to put their winger into space. Then there was uh, obviously the Dupree brothers who dominated both the back line and the forward pack respectively, Jean Luke and, and Dan Dupree. And then the Curry brothers were just an absolute nightmare at the breakdown. Um, so we need to give some credit there. Um, now let's shall we have a quick chat about refs refing? Yeah, go for controversy. It. Um, I, I think we'd be a bit pushed to blame our defeat on Matt Carley. Uh, there were some things that I thought he was, you know, abysmal at. I thought his actually this wasn't actually Carley though. I thought the assistant refereeing on the scrummaging 
was dreadful. He was over, um, Simon McIntyre got a few penalties out of Cole. If you saw the angle, he was sort of driving towards the touchline. It was absolutely bonkers. Um, I thought that the both of the calls for penalties against Cole came from the assistant. So then um, Carly went round to that side and then did McIntyre for co- driving in at an angle. So that told its own story in a way for me. Um, but there were two, a couple of big calls and again, actually, maybe it is harsh to blame it on Carly, but our, our old friend, the TMO, Claire um, Hodnett, is it? I forget. Um, we never seem to get on very well with her. I'm sure she's a lovely person. I'm sure she is, you know, objectively somewhere very good at the job. But there was in particular one really bad shot, wasn't there, that got completely overlooked. It's interesting that you have two players go off for headshots and HIAs and not come back on. Um, for it not to be looked at. Did Jansen go off for it? Was that on Jansen? No, so did Porter go off for a head knock? Yeah, but the, the, there was a video of a clear out. Yeah, that, so there was two players who went off for us with HIAs or head knocks, which was um, Cracknell and yeah. Porter. We have no idea what they were for. Presumably, bangs on a head. You'd want to have that looked at. And the one you're talking about is a clear out, which was um, picked up by someone on Twitter, which was on Jansen. Um, which if someone can find it on Twitter and to analyse it and slow it down and show that there was a clear headshot, why can't the TMO when yeah, you've and, got all... And that was taken from a BT Sport replay. Yes. This was. So it's in slow motion. It's being played straight away. And just for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, I think it's Van der Merwe, the hooker. I think. I, I don't want to claim it is him, but that's what I think it is. Uh, basically, Jansen's making a tackle. Very textbook, low tackle, sort of down by the knees, squeezing the, the guys being cleared. The tackle is not yet complete, but um, Van der Merwe comes in, arm down by his side, shoulder straight to the head of Jansen as he's making the tackle. That is not a clear out. The tackle is not complete. It is not latching onto his own player for a drive. For me, it's a fucking cheap shot. Uh, and is on, and it, I am astonished um, if he goes without sighting, as it appears uh, he, has, he has done. It's a clear red card in, in anybody's book. The other one on Cracknell, I, I was mainly annoyed at because they didn't show a single replay. They happily show a replay of absolutely anything else, but Cracknell went off for an HIA after this was Van der Merwe again, I think, um, a no arms tackle, and he you couldn't see. You just saw that um, Van der Merwe arrow himself in dangerously, uh, and then Cracknell went off for an HIA, and I think one of the Curry brothers got told off for celebrating it. Fair play to Carly by saying, look, that's inappropriate. You're celebrating an illegal tackle and the guy's injured. And I think fair play to Curry said, sorry, I didn't realise it was an illegal one. But I don't know, maybe he just got chopped so hard his head smacked against the floor and that's why he's out. Either way, that to me should make it a yellow card because it's a dangerous tackle. If it's on the head, regardless of how low Cracknell was, because somebody said, oh, well, Cracknell was really low. It doesn't matter how low he is. If you're making an illegal tackle with, without using your arms, you are denied the benefit of any mitigation. So if you make contact with the head, it's a straight red, and we weren't shown a replay of it at all. I think it's got. I think there has to be, and this is a universal thing, right? Because Port went off, as I say, Port went off for a head knock as well. If someone has gone off for a HIA or straight off with no repercussions, no HIA for a head knock, the TMO has got to be looking at why they're going off for that, and there has to be a, a better process about doing so because Cracknell clearly as we have spoken to him and a transparent process as well yeah well Cracknell as we know is nails you know he isn't going to go off lightly and he trudged off not in a good way 
that man is nails. He doesn't do that without some sort of hard trauma to his head, right? Porter, again, is someone that puts his head in where it, where it hurts. And he's a very brave boy. He doesn't go off looking as, as rough as that without something happening. I'd want to see, as a this isn't just a Leicester thing, but a universal thing. There has to be a better process of, and actually has to be a mandatory thing, what led to the player going off. And I think the, the, the incident with Janssen is a... Um, symptomatic I think of refereeing across the board actually where and this has been we know we spoke about Ludlow's clear out on DK last week players now routinely fly in to the rocks off their feet and it's chaos and there is more <laughs> and, and, and this is trying to take out tacklers not drive your carry because that's illegal you're taking a man out of the ball there uh, you can drive a um a, your ball carrier forward or once the tackle is complete, you can then clear the tackler out, obviously, legally. What Van der Merwe did there, again, if it is Van der Merwe, was completely illegal on, on a guy who was in the middle of tackling a player. Um, it's disgusting it wasn't looked at. Yeah, and, 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 and part of me wonders, I was having this discussion with Phil Sanford on, on Twitter, who, who follows us, and he, he said that, well, look, you've got all these different guys who... Uh, or, or, you've got this TMO who is looking at the game like why can't they pick it up my theory is I wonder if they're so worried about missing something else that's coming coming in you know they don't want to take their eyes off the live action they want to be able to call the really obvious ones that if something isn't clear to them immediately it just gets put in the bin now what I don't know maybe they do have this system but it's just not working they should have effectively an assistant maybe a more junior referee there um, and perhaps basically the, the senior TMO says I want to look at that instant Tell me if there's anything I need to look at. I want to look at that and tell me anything. And it could be that you know you, you double the amount that effectively are getting unofficially reviewed in the background by a junior who can then go say, yeah, actually, you need to check this one. Because at the moment, it seems really clear and obvious stuff is being missed. Yeah, I think, I think with VAR, I think the point has been made. I think VAR, there's three or four people working the cameras, um, I think, to pick up on this stuff. I think quite clearly, it is a lot. there's a lot going on in rugby. If you're going to have a, a TMO system... And especially a TMO system to look at head injuries and head shots and bad tackles, there probably needs to be more than one person doing it. You probably need two or three to be able to pick up on this stuff because um, the one last week on DK, the one this week on uh, on Janssen, they're really bad. And players, I've been watching across a lot of different games. This isn't Universal Celeste. You have players from every side flying into these rocks, off their feet, out of control. And you have no idea where. If you're a referee in real time, you're going to find it very, very hard to determine whether it's to the head, to the shoulder, if it's legal, illegal, and all the rest of it. You know, if you're being, if we're being serious about taking out head injuries and to player welfare and protect our boys, let's do it properly and let's pick up on this stuff. Or either so, referees be hotter about coming in off your feet and actually do it properly and legally, like you've just said. Or we have more people. And it might be a both thing here. We have more people in the truck helping the TMO to pick up on this stuff because it's not acceptable to for players to be able to take a head injury or a head bang like that and have no repercussions for it. Probably enough of uh, ref criticism that, that say that was stuff I wasn't particularly happy with. But anyway, um, just before we move on to three-word reviews, you spotted something interesting in the coaching box that you, you would want to throw out to listen to see if they can shed any light on. Yes. So on minute 73 of the game, camera pings up to Wiggy in the box. And on his left-hand side, 
there is a face I didn't recognise in there. Now, on his right, so as the left, as you look at it from the camera, there's Matt Everard, who I've rec- we all recognise, that's fine. But to his left, I didn't recognise who it was. It looked an older coach, and it was someone who I hadn't seen before. And I'm just going to throw it out there to everyone. If you were to go to minute 73, am I being daft? Is there a new face that's in there? I don't think it's Lee Francis. I don't, rec- I don't think it's the same guy. So am I being stupid? Just have a look at it. And there was another time, and I forgot to note down the minute of it when it was, there's a younger coach who's also in the box, who was also up there for the Gloucester game. Um, I think he's got a beard. Again, he's not one I recognise. It's not someone who I've seen um, before, but it was definitely, it might just be an analyst. You know, they don't normally, the club don't normally make a song and dance of our analysts. It might be someone that's an analyst that Wiggy gets on well with and wants to be in the box and just have a sounding board. But again, it's a new face I didn't recognise. So if anyone wants to um, shed some light on it or take a look at it and see if if I'm being daft or not, please do get in touch. But it is an interesting thing. If there are a couple of new faces, whether it's something that the club doesn't want to make uh, any announcement on yet, and it might just be on a trial basis for Wiggy just to have someone in and around him just to see how he gets on with that process. And if it's a success or Wiggy gets on well with whoever it is, we might see an announcement made in due course. Well, okay, let's do three word reviews. Actually, just before we do, just wanted to say, uh, I thought Dan Kelly had a good game uh, in a sea of sort of average to poor performances. thought Kelly kept uh, Manu pretty quiet, uh, which is no mean feat, really. Um, so I don't think that, I think you probably take that as a, well, score draw or, an, or a no score draw, I think, on the on the England 12 selection. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's a great battle. I I found it brilliant with the two of them running in together. It was it was great to see. Yeah, I, I know what I like to see was actually Dan Kelly actually making some yards against him and then sitting him down in contact. Actually, Manny did make a nice break on the outside. For I hate to say it, a guy Porter misread, and I think that was uh, about uh, I think one of the few breaks. He did. No, he did. He also nearly went in on the left hand corner. And then who is it who came across and did an insane tackle? I think it was Dan Kelly. Because it was Kelly, wasn't it? Yeah, because. Um, Freddie, we should shout out to Freddie actually because I think he's. Oh he's yeah, a pretty serious. I think it's a pretty bad bad one that Freddie's got. But to have got back into the defensive line, I think with his knee pointing to the other side of the world, yeah. and to to hop back into the defensive line, and he almost got he almost got to Manu. That, that, right? that was fucking heroic. Actually, that is a good point. We love Freddie. He's he's a great bloke, and obviously he was fantastic on the podcast when he came on. He gave us a lot of his time. Um, yeah, uh, Freddie Bay, we hope you're right. Obviously, it looks like an injury. We hope it's not as uh, as bad as it, it looked and uh, you come back soon. But what what a man. I mean, to, to, the bravery to do that. And I think that shows about, you mentioned at the start of this, you can't doubt the effort of the boys on the pitch. I mean, if, no. if anything that personifies what this group of boys is all about, it's someone like that who shrugged off the physios to hop back into the defensive line, yeah. to throw himself one-legged at Manu. Going, <laughs> All right, I'll, I might even give Manu a little bit of credit here. Perhaps he had a look and thought, uh, I'm I, could go, I, I could go straight through him. But then he, and he thought, oh, that's pretty bad. Like, I'll, I'll go round him instead. It's less like he's caused damage. But yeah. um, uh, but either way, well done, Freddie, mate, for that. And I hope, I hope you get better too. Right, Elliot, what have you got for three-word reviews? So the first one for me was, um, it's a point that we've both made before. It's from John Toogood who put simple errors everywhere. Uh, for me, it just, if you know, if whatever, as you said, every facet of the game, we, we just couldn't do it. It just didn't happen for us. And like you said, if you can't do, if you can't execute in all areas of the game, you're going to struggle to win games of rugby. So uh, that for me pretty much summed up the uh, the whole evening, to be honest. 
Yeah, uh, John Phillips comes in with buy top two. Uh, obviously, there's a 10-point gap now between us and Sale. I think we said before the podcast, whoever would win this game would have the top two in their own destiny. I think probably stand by that. I think it, Sale have it in their own hands now. But I don't think it's completely gone. Um, I think that we have, what do we have? Is it eight games left? Nine, nine games left. Nine games left. Falcons away next week. After that, we have eight games left, six of which six are at home. home. And the two away games are Gloucester and Irish. Now, tough places, but they're not impossible to win at. No, no, exactly. I think, realistically, we can probably afford one more loss, uh, a, a close loss where we come away with something, and then uh, a good number of wins with some bonus points. And that might have us in the top two contention. Uh, but you look how condensed that league is. Everyone is going to be taking points off each other, certainly from uh, third place and below. So God knows what the points requirement is going to be to come in in, uh, in the top four. But as I say, that's still very much within our hands. Uh, I think we're only still three points off um, th- that position. So look, um, I-, I think, yeah, top two, we'll see. But uh, top four is is definitely still on. Yeah, and uh, linked into that is one from Richard Frost who put Keep the Faith. And to be honest, I'm exactly in that sort of line of thought of, look, we were bad, right? There's no getting away from it. We're not going to sugarcoat it and say things are, are, are brilliant. You know, it was a bad performance. But we played well the week before against Gloucester. You know, it just is, what, for whatever reason this year, we are a little bit more inconsistent than what we were last year. And that is disappointing. But the fixture list is still kind for us. You know, we finished, we got to halfway point, right? After 10 games, fourth, after five wins with a load of away games played, right? It's all to play for with nine games left. We've got a, a, an easier fixture. It's a winnable fixture away at Falcons this week. And then, like we said, we've got six games at home out of eight with two more winnable away games Well, well it's tough. It is still all to play for. The table is tight as anything. You know, it's one bad performance. Let's back it up. Let's go put it right next week against Falcons. Let's keep the faith with the boys and the processes. They've earned our trust over the last two and a half, three years. Absolutely. Okay, let's, let's back them up a bit here. Exactly. You know, kind of th- this this relationship goes two ways. Sometimes there's going to be bad days and we need to be there to back up the boys. And other days, you know, they're going to be putting in the performances and we're going to be struggling to keep up with our praise for them. So, you know, at this situation, let's be good fans and uh, support them. Um Look, um, I, I'm going to change the one I was going to say because I think that basically covers it. My one was going to be don't overreact as well. But uh, Phil Sanford with some, um, uh, he's a, clearly a glass half full kind of guy because he did two very good ones I'm going to mention, which was we weren't nilled. Um, so, you know, whoopity do. And also, uh, it wasn't 50. So, every cloud. Well, I was going to say, at, at one point, it could have been, <laughs> it, it, it could have been, been a lot worse. It could have been. been. Actually, there, there was probably a middle. 15 minutes of that second half where we did hold sale and perhaps sale got a little bit cocky and they didn't score. And there was a risk that they might not get the bonus point, which would have been a, te- a travesty for them, basically with what they were up against. Um, so perhaps, yeah, that, that is a positive to take from it. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Oh, it's the deep, dark depths of the regular season, but we're getting to the sharp, pointy end of our feature of homegrown heroes. Well, actually, to be honest, it's finished. We're in the playoffs now because we've been running the vote for the head coaches. We're out of players now. The teams are already done. And instead, we've been asking for your views on who is the best homegrown, that is, 
England, Wales and Scotland uh, based coach and who is our best imported coach. Uh, some interesting options for both that we were criticised for not including Lofreda, uh, Heineke Meyer, and others who shall not be named uh, in the potential voting. But it was a, it's a pretty good one, so wasn't it? Elliot, what have we got? So the imports, it was two Australians who um, went head-to-head. Bob Dwyer versus Pat Howard. This is a good one. I think, unsurprisingly, there was a there was a clear win. I mean, in my brain there was, but I think it was... I think most fairly... people would say Pat Howard, but with a with a deep nod, you know, verging on a bow. You know, it's sort of like a very severe head nod to Bob Dwyer for basically getting us set up for uh, professionalism. Somebody had mentioned before they'd been at... A, I remember going to this game. This is before your time. Uh, I mean, to be fair, this is before my time of really remembering it, but we beat Sale 6-3, I think in, oh my God, like 96 or 97. My dad took me to Twickenham to watch it, Pilkington Cup final, I think it was then. And it was a shy game. Was it 9-6? Either way, something something that basically made you want to claw your eyes out. And Bob Dwyer was the coach at the time, walked around trying to whip up the crowd, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and, but, you know, he was basically sort of took took us from amateurism into professionalism. So top of the uh, tip of the cap to Bob Dwyer, but Pat Howard is the man. He was, and he won with a clear margin of 87% to 13. But like I say, I think a, few, a lot of people would have been respectful to what um, Dwyer did uh, at the club. And then for the import, uh, not imports, the homegrown heroes, they're really fascinating. Won all league winners, uh, all three supremely talented coaches and DORs, Dean Richards, Richard Cockrell, Steve Borthwick. Um, I think we both said that all three are very strong candidates, but the record of one man set him apart uh, and and with an achievement that probably won't be um, matched anywhere in rugby, let alone at Leicester. Um, Dean Richards was the winner with 57%. Cock has got 21. Steve got 22. It's a pretty narrow there. Um, so Cockers and Steve can console themselves as working together um, at England. I'm sure they'll be talking about the vote uh, in amongst their coaching. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a source of so much banter between them, I bet. Oh, constant ribbing from Steve on Cockers. Found your 1% yet, Rich? Where's your 1%? Just imagine if Steve has a burner account on Twitter. Uh, yeah, like there's there's like a little part of him, a dark, evil, twisted part of him that goes around like dropping grenades on social media. Yeah, just imagine. And, and liking inappropriate videos from like models on Instagram and stuff like that. He's a, he's an absolute sort of liability on social media um, under this other name. That is just rumour. We don't have any uh, proof on that whatsoever. I think there's a nice split on that vote, though, of like Dino just over half and uh, sort of Steve and Cockers getting, uh, you know, splitting the vote the other way because it, we get accused of, well, we don't get accused. There is an accusation of recency bias. Uh, on some of the votes, which is understandable, but it just goes to show how timeless Dino's achievements are. Yeah, and, uh, for all those who we spoke about it um, last week in terms of like if you're there and you feel involved in it, you get a greater appreciation of it. For everyone that was a season ticket holder and a fan during those Dino years, you will always look back at it as was so fondly because you would have felt so involved with the team and you know, the achievements that that team did. And, you know, again. I don't want to labour the point too much, but it is unparalleled. You know, no one has done what Leicester has done. Sarri's the closest ever to have got it. And as has been proven, they did it via unfair means. We were the first team to have done four in a row. We probably potentially could be the last for a very long while um, to do it. It is a supremely impressive achievement. And Dino 
should be feted for his achievements um, at the club as a DOR. Absolutely. But now we basically have two full teams with coaches. The imports, that is, from overseas, if they've had to cross water to get here, they are an import. Um, we started trying to make rules around relationships to the Brexit trade agreement, but that's a fucking mess, so we can't talk about that. But effectively, anyone from Ireland is, is counted as an import, hence why Geordie is at fullback. Uh, and then the imports, obviously, Great Britain, uh, anyone from there. So we've got two full teams. Now, Elliot, I'm going to ask you to label them both up. And then we're going to do just a one-off vote. We're going to put the two teams up online so people can look at them. And we want to get your vote on who would win if these two sides played with everyone in their prime. Yeah, this is not a... Yeah, we're not asking Joel Stransky. We're not reading out Joel Stransky, you know, kind of like in his 50s or anything like that. No, this is basically at their prime. Could still do a job. Mano a mano. Let's see what happens. I think it's going to be a fascinating vote. So we'll run through the teams. Import 15, as we... um, Voted on that first. From the top, Marcus Iyerza, Julian Montoja, Martin Castro Giovanni, Leo Cullen, and Fritz van Heerden in the second rows. Back row of Hanro Liebenberg, Julian Salvi, and Jasper Visa. At nine, Julian Dupree. Ten, Joel Stransky. Alex Tuolagi and Toulouse Vianu on the wings. Pat Howard and Sari Rambini in the centres at 12 and 13, respectively. And at fullback is Jordan Murphy and is coached by Pat Howard. The homegrown heroes just, team. Just, I've just got to take a moment just to think of that centre partnership and the wingers uh, and the full. Actually, just everything. Like, I mean, there we go on. Dupuy and Stransky, a quality quality player. You know, Stransky was class, but yeah, he was a, a class precision operator. Not dissimilar to Fordy, actually. And But then you've just got batshit crazy outside them. Of uh, you know the genius of Howard, raw power of Rambeni, unfairly also having Alessandro Tuolagi, and then completely countered by the footwork of Vianu and Murphy. I mean, you know, hey Siri, designed me the perfect backline. It's something like that. I've just realised that twelve and head coach are one in the same. <laughs> oh yeah, shit. <laughs> uh, Howard, is that an advantage or a disadvantage? I mean, Pat Howard is the cleverest man in rugby, so it, it... Yeah, not a problem. It's he's, not fair. He's making front row substitutions while sort of making half breaks and offloading out the back of the hand. No problem. I, Next. I mean, it, that is, I, I, this is getting into like um, sci-fi. So if we're taking Pat Howard as his prime coaching, which, which is 35-year-old Pat Howard and prime Pat Howard as a player as a 30-year-old, <laughs> we're starting to get into inception shit here. So we'll move uh, yeah. on to the... No, exactly all right. No, so he's got the body of the playing self, but the mind of the management if that yeah. makes sense. Right, that's um, the Pat Howard involved in this. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 12 and player coach. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's a shame Dino didn't get the number eight spot. Yeah, the I was just about to say, imagine if Dino had got the nod. Uh, <laughs> well, but... You know what Dino's tactic would have been then? What, punch everyone? Yeah, no, no, kick the shit out of Pat Howard in the first minute <laughs> without the head coach for the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's move on to homegrown 15. As we just said, is now coached by um, Dean Richards. So, front row of Graham Roundtree, Tom Youngs and Dan Cole. Martin Johnson and Ben Kay in the second row. A back row of Tom Croft, Neil Back and Martin Corrie. Ben Youngs and George Ford as the halfbacks. Austin Healy left wing, Leon Lloyd right wing. Centres of 12 and 13 of Anthony Allen and Manu Tuolagi. And at 15 was Tim Stimpson. 
Yeah, and there were some really close votes in that. I think that um, Freddie Stewart was very close already because he's made such an impression. Um, yeah, Matt Tate, well, you know, that fullback shirt still makes me. I, I still think no Ollie Smith in his prime is a mistake. Uh, I'd have liked to have seen a Manu Tualaki 12 uh, and Ollie Smith 13 combination there. That would have pleased me greatly. But it is what it is. Now, I think when we're going to put these matchups up, obviously we'll we'll ask everyone what they think you know, would happen and where they think the game would be won. Let's talk about, um, let's do the BT Sport approach. So I will pick a key battle in the forwards and you pick a key battle in the back. So I'll be Ben K, you be Austin Healy then. Both of whom yeah, are playing in this, so they've got skin in the game. <laughs> do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Oh, well, I think they do the forwards first, don't they? So I'll go first on this. So uh, I'm, if I am Ben K, I'm not going to pick myself um, because actually I do think Tigers have an advantage in the second row. I think in this over their counterparts. John Owen K, I think, are pretty unsurpassable. Uh, the really juicy one for me is the two props. I'm going to cheat and pick two. A bit loose-headed tie-head. So you've got Roundtree uh, and the Cola Bear up against Marcus Ayatso and Martin Castro-Giovanni. I mean, my goodness, that is a tasty battle. Um, I can see both loose-heads potentially getting the upper hand. Potentially. You know, you've arguably got more about the park potentially with Castro Giovanni, but I, you know, I would probably back if I came down to it. I would probably back the the homegrown heroes to get the squeeze on in the second half, and that I is think where, where where it comes down to. Fantastic battle, though. I cannot. I genuinely cannot call it because as soon as I go, oh, Wiggy might do something there. You go, well, Castro is such a, just a dominant scrummager, but you think, oh, that might bring it back into play. Yeah, and it's the same with 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 Cole versus Yurts. I just. I find it's such a Coley brilliant... in particular cut his teeth, played for years with Ayatza. So if there's one person who might be able to handle Ayatza or at least neutralise him, it's probably Coley. Whilst I think there was a little bit of a gap uh, between Castro. I think he played a bit of loose head when he first arrived between Castro and, and uh, Wiggy when he arrived. So yeah, I'm going to about the home ground here, but that is a key battleground uh, on that. Very exciting. Not only is it a key battleground, it's just a brilliant one to talk about because I think it's it would just be fireworks. If you must imagine the amount of chat that would be going on between <laughs> between it all. I mean, because yeah, I just think it's hilarious. I think it'd be brilliant, and it's a shame. It's a shame this is just fantasy world and and not real life because I think it really would be um, brilliant. I am looking at the backs. There's some brilliant matchups here, and I think you know, as always, nine and ten is great to look at. Ben Youngs and George Ford versus Dupree and Joel Stransky. But the, the one that fascinates me. A lot. It's the centre partnerships because in the, the imports, 15, you've got Pat Howard and Seru Rumbini, you know, brains and power, you know, brains and brawn linked together with a bit uh, of pace. And footwork as well, you know, yeah. in a lethal step. You know, physical tackler. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're between them, that's a really fascinating centre battle. And it comes up against Anthony Allen and Manu Tuolagi. And, you know, for, for many people, they talk about that as one of the better or the best centre partnerships the club has had. Um, yeah, and Anthony Allen's a guy who doesn't get as much love, I suspect, as a lot of the other guys, but he was very much a glue player, probably similar to how Dan Kelly is going to be for Tigers, or we hope he's going to be, someone who makes everyone else around him better because of his organisation and leadership. And, you know, that's so important. I, I, I think that there is an advantage for Howard because I think he had that and the genius. Then if I look at the outside centre, God, I love Seru. And, you know, there's nothing different from power. But you know how we used to criticise Manu sometimes for his defence? He worked on that and he's become a very decent defender of the outside. <laughs> Seru at 13 in defence. 
he's got one move, and that's uh, dive in and smash anyone, whether the ball's there or not. So it'll be interesting to see if Fordy would have some fun with that. I expect. Yeah, I, I mean, you could. We would just been. We've limited it to one each in terms of the matchup. But before we press record, both of us were fascinated by so many. You could go when we do the position on position. I think you'll really enjoy it analysing player on player because there's yeah, so many. That's it, because we are going to do, after this vote, we are then going to do sort of like uh, head-to-head to see if we can put together an ultimate Tigers 15. The one that basically, when we get invaded by the Independence Day aliens and they say, look, we, we want to avoid some bloodshed, but we want to challenge you to a rugby match. And in uh, just because of circumstances, it has to be based in Leicester. What's the best... 15 Leicester Tigers ever could put out to fight the aliens. Uh, and in fairness, it didn't even have to be a rugby game. If they want to invade Leicester, you're going to have to go through this 15. <laughs> yeah. this is, if you want to take Leicester, we will hire in guns for hire. We'll we'll bring back John O. You know, it, this is yeah. the 15. If you know how want. to fight, it's like the A team. If you know where to find them, maybe you could hire. Yeah, exactly. I'm very excited about it. Anyway, Elliot will put up the vote later. Weirdly excited about this. I know not everyone loves this section, but we do uh, because we're, we're massive nerds. Uh, and for those of you who do like it, hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. Well, it was always going to be a big game going up north to play the Geordies late. But now, after the debacle against Sale, it's just got a hell of a lot bigger. And annoyingly, Newcastle aren't the whipping boys that perhaps they were at times last season. They seem to really tighten things up a bit, albeit they're still a bit inconsistent. Um, do you agree, Elliot? Yes, certainly tough opponents. And it's not an easy um, ground to go to. You know, they've been a bit inconsistent themselves with their form. But, you know, they're on their own patch. They're going to want to see if they can cause an upset against the uh, the champions. So we've got to be on our uh, A game again to um, to get something from it. And this is it, because I think even when they were crap, uh, they were still hard to beat heavily at home, if that makes sense. They'd usually sort of make it a scrap. And actually, I'll tell you what, last season, it was the penultimate game, I think, wasn't it? We went to Newcastle. Uh, Guy Porter had a bit of a worldy day. He scored with an outrageous sidestep and then put in a crossfield kick for a try as well for Freddie Stewart. But, you know, we got really drawn into, um, we were really comfortable, I remember, for the first half. And then they started to wind us up. They made the game scrappy. And when the game starts to break up and get scrappy and they're feeding off those scraps, that's when we really started to struggle. Um, They're a big momentum team. And you saw what they did against Sale. They were 14 points down and scored 20 unanswered points in the second half to win it. Um, This is Benaskin with a capital B as far as I'm concerned. They punch above their weight, given the resources and everything that goes on at, at Falcons. They punch above their weight and they're, they're well-drilled, they're well-organised. And like you say, they will find a way of disrupting their well-heeled opponents if they can. And like you say, last year, it was only in the last 10 minutes did we actually find a bit of rhythm and score those late tries to get us to bonus point and get us to win. Because, you know, it was tough and it was hard going. And we had to, I remember, because I remember being at the game, we were under the pump. A lot in the second half, they battered our line and we had to go back to the wall um, to hold out. And, you know, we had to be up for it physically and up front to get ourselves over the line. And we had, you've, got, you've got to respect that. And that means that we go into this game, meaning the, the, the forward pack got to be on their, um, their metal to, to, to get us from it. Yeah, the, the results over the last couple of months make for really interesting, really, actually, because they lost at home to Bath 
10-17. That was a bit of a shit game. I'm watching the highlights, if it can be called that. Uh, then they uh, beat Gloucester away. Fantastic performance, 27-21. They did really well. Beat Exeter at home, 24-21. I know Exeter are going through a bit of a rough patch now as well. But then it was. Then they got hammered 39-17 by uh, London Irish. Then uh, they had a few Challenge Cup games, which I'm not going to look too much into. Then they did the job on sale, but then they went to Bath uh, and lost um, again, again, they probably should have won. So it's hard to know what to say. I think the th- thing is with Newcastle, what's clear is that if they have everyone fit and they're on form, they will give anyone a game, as shown by the fact that they turned sale over. Where they perhaps struggle a bit is for depth, and if things aren't going quite their way, can they change it round? But they're, they're a team with a hell of a lot of heart. They play for each other. They've lost George McGuigan, but it gives Jamie Blamire, who, let's not forget, is an England international. Uh, and I think scored like something like two tries in his first two touches in international rugby. He's a great player. And um, I think he was doing a turn for them in, in the back row last season, wasn't he, as well, because of injuries. So, look, they, it is a solid workmanlike pack. But it's one that if it gets parity, and if it starts to wind it us up a little bit, if the game breaks up, it's out wide where they could murder us. Yes, their back line is interesting because you've got the Argentinian boys, one of which we know a lot about, Mateus Moroni and Carreras. You know, you've got Radwan uh, outside on the wings. Well, as Radwan's well. the headline, but but I say Carreras. If I'm doing a team of the season so far, I, I mean that man's in it. Uh, some of the tries he scored. I mean, you think uh, there was one at home. Well, crikey. one at Bristol, one against Bristol is an absolute. Yeah, world the one game. against Bristol is crazy. Then he scored that one against Northampton, wasn't it as well? Um, which was, you know, I think he went through everyone. He's unbelievable footwork. And he scored one against us, of course, didn't he, at our place? Yeah, it's it's one of those where, in terms of how we want to set up and play, we've got to be really diligent in terms of our detail about how we go about things because you don't want to be giving them opportunities. DK in the middle of our defence has got to be bang up for it. We've got to be really super aggressive in our defence in terms of shutting down the space. You mentioned before we press record, the kicking game. The kicking game actually becomes really imperative because of, look, it's Newcastle in January. Weather forecast, we don't know, but it's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. It's going to be windy. You know that for for, for certain. It's going to, you, You've got to be really intelligent about how we go about our business in terms of getting this. Yeah, and I think the, the aerial battle is going to be here. I know people are going to roll their eyes when we talk about kicking more because I thought we kicked too much against Sale, even off slow balls sometimes. We could look up. I thought JVP missed the opportunity to actually say, well, actually, let's go back the other way because they've assumed we're kicking. So we've actually got an overlap um, wide if we put it through the hands. And, uh, you know, I do want us to be more aware of those opportunities. But let's be clear. Radwan, Carreras, um, and I, I forget the chap who they had at fullback uh, against Bath. I think it's a guy they signed from Saras, a young guy called Obatoyimbo, who is is quick. And like the other guys, you know, give him space. He's dangerous. But under the high ball, is he the best? I don't think... Any of those three are, are brilliant under the high ball, which is why I expect that we mo- will probably see, even if, you know, fancy Watson's fit, great, but we've got you know, some of the best wingers um, in the league for chasing those high kicks. So I expect to just go Stewart, Potter, Ashton, if Watson is not fit. Um, and I expect to see us start to hammer, hammer the high balls. You know, maybe Lenny will start this one uh, to give Charlie Atkinson a bit of guidance. You've got a controversial theory about um, where Wigley might go at fly half, though. It's just an out. It's not something I would do, but it's a potential to have a think about would be Jimmy Gopper at 10. You know, in a game where the battle of the 10s and the battle of territory and the possession is going to be so important, you know, with the weather conditions, 
having the experience there of Gopeth might be the avenue he goes down. I still think he'll go with Atkinson at 10. You know, Charlie played really well out in Ospreys, which is a similar sort of game in terms of conditions yeah, wise. Good point. So, yeah. So I, I wouldn't expect uh, Gopeth to start, but I would expect Gopeth to be the backup 10. Look, I wouldn't, we both said we would go nowhere near um, Andre Pollard for this game which means um, we need a backup 10 because on the bench. Of, because of the plastic pitch, uh, of course, and his knee issues, yeah. So we um, would have um, Gopeth in the 23 um, to replace Pollard. I would, like you, would probably have him on the bench. But it is a, it, as an outside bet to have a think about, that could be where the surprise is sprung from in terms of Wiggy's selections. Well, I think actually it's, so he, he can still provide that benefit from you know, from the bench. You know, he can start with Atkinson. And Gopeth, let's not forget, had a good few years at Newcastle. He knows the ground. He knows conditions. He knows their ethos, which which hasn't changed uh, obviously too much since the Dino era. And you know he could be huge this week. I really hope he is properly involved because he's another guy we want to step up uh, as a leader. Obviously, uh, given what's happened, uh, the forward battle is is massive. They, they've got a solid pack, but I think we can get into them in the scrum. Um, I, I really hope that obviously uh, James Cronin is back for this. Uh, I, I want to see our gun front row out for this. Uh, and again, I think in the second row, go, going with Chess and Wells uh, and the back row, I really hope Visa's back. But injury to Cracknell, who was just coming into his own, I think is um, it could be really costly for us on the ball carrying front. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, the selection in the forwards just comes down to who's fit and available. You want to get the likes of... Oh, we're at that stage already. <laughs> well, it's more... It's, it's, for a game like this, you just want to see boys back. George Martin, for example, has took a, a, took a bang against Ospreys. It'd be great to see him involved in some shape or form, you know, to get him um, in amongst it. Because again, that physicality he brings, I think is so important. And again, he's another line out option if we want, you know, with a set piece being important. So just getting boys out on the field and getting us our key players to get us over the line, I think it's so important to set this tone for what we the, want to do. Well, this is Newcastle's back row. It, it's very big. It's very abrasive. It's not the best over the ball. It's um, uh, uh, Gary Graham, Callum Chick. Uh, and our old friend, uh, Mr. Carl Ferns, who talks a big game and then it's consistently rubbish against us. We're going to have an absolute stormer now. Uh, but we need to bully those guys. And it'll be interesting whether you try, like you say, fight them fire with fire. Go for, if Martin was fit, that'd be fantastic to have him, Hanro and Jasper in the back row. Or do we just say, look, yeah, Tommy Turnover's here and he's going to dominate the floor for us. So it'll be really interesting to see how we go. Uh, Guy Porter at 13, it, whilst obviously we hope he's okay, it's not such an issue because Matt Scott is... Yeah, ready-made quality replacement, very good defender as well in that 13 channel. Yeah, absolutely. You've got options there to cover for us. And to be fair, Scotty and Dan Kelly in the centres, we know what it's all about and it's it's never let us down and I, I would have no um, issues at all um, It's starting the game at the weekend. And I think as well, some people look at this and say, oh, well, yeah, it's Newcastle. We'll have a bonus point, please. Uh, n- not for me, not away from home. I'd happily just take the four points away from this place and start to focus on the home games where we can hopefully try and build some momentum, particularly given what happened against Sale. Where is your feeling with the score on this, Elliot? It's going to be tight. It's going to be cagey. I think we've got enough um, about us to get the win. I think if we're on our A game, I think we've got a chance for a bonus point. I think our fitness mm-hmm. could see us in a position where the last 10, if we've got a good lead, we can... Uh, Target it, but like you, I just want to win first and foremost. Tigers by five. It's such a dickhead at the moment because you keep pitching my scores like to, to the number. We've we've done this podcast for too long together, and it's only been about eighteen months. Yeah, 
I was going to say Tigers by five. Oh, fuck it. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say Tigers by eight. Nice. Well, that brings us to the end of this, uh, well, increasingly spluttering pod. I, I'm sorry if anyone heard me coughing or spluttering in that last segment. Usually I hit mute, but that one caught me by surprise. I think uh, I got COVID two weeks before Christmas, and it, it was a bit of a, a, a rubbish time anyway. And it, it's, uh, like you, I was saying to you, Elliot, it seemed to be left with this irritating cold and cough that you just can't quite shift. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll stop moaning. I'm just generally a disgustingly ill person anyway, as anyone who listens to the pod regularly will know. Thanks to my children. They're great. Have kids. Um, let's go do a couple of last-minute shout-outs. Elliot, you've got uh, a fantastic cause. Yes, yeah, so um, Elizabeth Cartwright, who is a Tigers fan who many people uh, may follow on Twitter, um, she is running a half marathon for uh, motor neuron disease which is a fantastic um, thing to do and for a fantastic cause, as we well know. So um, Beth is going to um, tweet um, this week a link to her Just Giving page, and we will retweet it um, on her behalf. So if you've got, um, you know, it's a fantastic cause. We know times are tough at the moment uh, for everyone, but if you have got a couple of quid spare or anything hanging around a spare change, bung her a few quid for a fantastic effort that she's doing, a half marathon is a great effort so uh, so yeah we'll um, retweet it and go help support um the page absolutely and once we've got some details we'll also mention it on the pod for anyone who isn't on the social media cesspit that is twitter so they can uh i know donate via carrier pigeon or whatever it is they presumably doing at home uh, without being on twitter um we also want to say thank you someone tweeted us whilst we were um whilst we were do- doing record and it's our friend from belgium amelie who got in touch to say uh, Happy New Year. Uh, does it count for me if the best moment was discovering this podcast? Um, I see Lesser Tigers related moments. I assume she's had far more good moments apart from that. I'll worry for her if that's not the case, but she says, please keep up the good work. Such a pleasure to listen from Belgium and feel included and part of the community. That's exactly what we're here for. Um, Emily, thank you so much for getting in touch with your lovely message. Um, the last thing I'm going to do, usually we sometimes have a moan about stuff. Elliot, I'm going to ask you, oh, controversial, what is your thought on the Joe Marler incident? Anyone who has been under a rock for the last week, uh, Joe Marler called was it, uh, Heenan uh, in the Bristol yeah. game. Uh, he called Heenan's mum an effing whore twice, uh, completely unprovoked as well, it should be said. And he's been lumped with a six-week ban, four of which is suspended. So in reality, it's a two-week ban. What are your thoughts on that, mate? So I tweeted about it yesterday. I thought, as usual, was... we did completely separate tweets and basically said, said the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny how that uh, does the happen. Brains I work, think yeah. Tasteless, classless, deeply unpleasant. Um, there's no place for that sort of stuff. Completely unprovoked um, as well, because Heenan had just said, uh, are you, you know, you need to calm down, brother. And Joe Muller said, I'm clearly not your brother. We're not from the same mother. Your mother's a effing whore. And then I think Jan Thomas went, what did you say to him? And then Marlo had time to think about it and repeated it to say, your mother is an effing whore. Um, it's just so, like, like I've had similar stuff said to me on a pitch. It's so disgusting and unimaginative that for me, because obviously my, my mother is is fine and, and, and well, it's just water off a duck's back. But because Heenan's mother, unfortunately, is, is unwell and receiving hospital treatment, it provoked a quite severe reaction. Um, yeah, it's a it's a difficult balancing act, though. I think 
yeah, I, my thing is, it's deeply unpleasant. It's shown Marler to be a dickhead, and it has shown him to and be it, a dirty hypocrite, hypocrite, given all the um, mental health stuff that he's been um, supporting. Look, it, it doesn't knock the cause. I'm pleased that Marler does raise this awareness. But given that context, it is deeply hypocritical for him to have it, And one of his that. big things to say is, you never know what someone else is going through. Yeah, hashtag be kind. So it has shown him up to be a massive hypocrite. I am... It is I'm it is severely t- tasteless classes and all the rest of it. However, I am still a bit unsure whether we should go down the banning route purely because what me what I would find offensive or unpleasant may be different to what you would find unpleasant or to what someone else would. And I think if you're insulting based on race, gender, ethnicity, or whatever, that's very objective because it is clearly it's hate in the wrong. Yeah, yes. exactly. If he's used hate speech, then throw the book at him. I suppose you could argue, of course, that the language he used about his mother was misogynistic, which of course is is a hate crime in itself. Now, um, yes. so you could you could if you frame it that way, I do agree with the ban. But once you start, you know, if Heenan's mother had been well, would he have reacted? No. Would it have been a thing? Probably not. Um, it then becomes, like you say, quite subjective, and there is always a lot of chat. Given the replay, like you see, and how Marla spoke, I'm actually quite comfortable with the ban because I think it was just that needless and abhorrent and just grim that you don't really need that in the game. Like you come up, come up with something better. Criticize his haircut, or you know, or his no, you know, that that is the classic one. You know, you should sue your barber. Marla's insult was the equivalent of that bit on Anchorman where he says, "Where did you get those clothes? The toilet store." It was just, but obviously, a lot more hurtful and personal if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And it's a really bad look for the game. I think, irrespective, the punishment has now been dealt with. I think what I find really interesting is, and I don't want to to not this go into referee bashing, but it's going to look like it is, and I don't want it to be, but go with me here, is that um, Carl Dixon on the pitch said he didn't hear it. Now, in the... Um, the transcript of the inquiry or the hearing, the, the implication from Heenan is that Dixon did hear it. Now, either, which makes it, it's a serious in, implication for me, is that Heenan's effectively implying that Dixon heard it and decided to look the other way. Ordinarily, that's not so bad on its own. But if you combine it with the fact that Dixon is an ex-Quins player and is already, I think we're both in alignment that we we both feel that Dixon sh- shouldn't be put in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Nothing to say he's impartial or, um, uh, you know, he's going, <laughs> sorry, nothing to say he's going to be biased or unprofessional. But if he makes a contentious call either way, he will be jumped on for being either biased or overcompensating uh, against his own old club. Uh, and if we're trying to protect referees, we should stop, you know, we should avoid putting them in that situation. We don't have Englishmen. Wayne Barnes doesn't referee England against Wales. Uh, I don't see why it should be different at club level. Absolutely. The optics alone look bad in that situation. And given the transcript of of what Heenan said and the statement Heenan said in the in the hearing and the implication that it, the, the implication that he's levelling at the referee and the referee's history of one of the two clubs, I think there needs to be a hard revisit of this of the allocation of games. I don't think it's appropriate for Ridley to be appropriate in ours, but given his history of being in our academy. 
I don't think it's yes. appropriate and fair for Dixon to be refereeing Quinn's. There's enough referees. We don't need to have it exactly. I think that's absolutely. The so the whole that's where I think questions probably need to be asked about. Or not into a referee bashing thing, but it, there is an a, questions have been asked from the, that statement yeah. that probably need to be followed up of how it was missed because if a prop can hear it at the same distance way that the referee is from the other side of the scrum, yeah, I think we've got. I don't know. To me, this feels there's questions there to be answered of how it was missed on the field. I agree. And on that bombshell, we bid you a good week and go on, Tigers. Go for it. Enjoy your lunch.